Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. Season 2, Episode 10. You've got questions? We've got answers. It's time for a special question and answer episode. We are delighted to receive emails from you all and are excited to answer them in today's show. We will be covering questions that range from dating and relationships to living your faith out in public to how to publish a book. We also have a hack for you on what to do for a pregnant friend who's not having their first and a highlight about a ministry that is truly answering Pope Francis's call to go to the peripheries. Don't want to miss this, so stay right here. Welcome to the podcast, the question and answer podcast. Q&A as they call it. Yeah, whoever they are. Whoever they are. I'm really excited. Me too. Yeah, this will be great. It's going to be fun. And we, we got some really good questions. We did, and they were all via email, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. And we're going to answer six of them on the show today and they range all across the board so i promise there's something in this episode for you because it's kind of all over the board it's, it's a pretty big promise mm, yeah but i think i think we can i think, think we, we can, can deliver i think we can deliver it's gonna be good so we have so much to cover i think we should just dive right in that's right and our first question comes from mariah from sacramento california mariah asks what can i practically do to make better use of free time how can I get myself to stop reaching for my phone and get to a point where true recreation is my go-to? I find this extra hard as a single person, not married, not a nun, haha, because I don't have that built-in accountability, you know? I think this is a really great question. I think it's a question that a lot of us ask. We kind of fall back into social media or something online or watching Netflix before bed. It just can be very easy to go to non-true recreation type of things. And the first thing I thought of was something that you do, Lisa, and you use the Freedom App. Can oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. So the Freedom App, what it does is it blocks you out of, well, you can you can put parameters. So you can say just social media, or you could say YouTube. You can pick different hmm. like channels that you want to block, or you can just say block my internet entirely, and it'll just shut down your phone during certain hours. So I have it set from like, uh, six to eight, which is our big family time. So I, I just, I can't get on my phone. And yeah. then it's not a temptation because it's not an option. I train myself, I can't do that. And then same thing, like I think from 10 until like eight the next morning. So I'm not up late, like looking at social media, which is just a waste of my time. So yeah, it's great. Um, you have to pay for it, yep. but it's like a one-time lifetime thing. That's um, great. Yeah, so that's that's definitely one way to very practically... <laughs> You don't want to be constantly looking at social media. You can block yourself from it completely. Email too. It can block your email. Well, yeah. and I think that's, I mean, just uh, kind of initial practical is just trying to cut off the habit, right? I mean, at a very basic level, we just get so used to, oh, it makes me feel really good to scroll through social media initially or to watch this movie. And so we just kind of have to cut off that and to rearrange and reorder. Um, and so even little things like putting a book next to your bed instead of your phone, charging your phone downstairs, just trying to find those ways where you can't, do it and you, you're really reordering that I think beyond that I think trying to find a hobby uh, that is outside of a, a digital landscape or digital world can be really helpful so gardening or drawing something with your hands something where you, you can't look up something online but you're actually creating I think is really healthy uh, to reorder ourselves beyond 
an electronic or, or digital world. Yeah, especially if you open up something that you love, like a new hobby, then you're going to want to do it. You'll be excited about doing it. And it sounds funny, but I think you almost have to schedule in leisure sometimes until it becomes a habit. Like the phrase, fake it till you make it. Yeah. (laughs) Fake that you're really excited about, you know, whatever it is, this leisure thing, until it becomes a habit, until it becomes a virtue. Because a virtue is a habitual disposition. Mm -hmm. It's like we want that. It's a disposition that's a habit within us that we don't have to fight for, but it just is ingrained in us and... Yeah, those things just take time, but you have to first be intentional about it, and it might not seem natural, but eventually it becomes natural and it becomes a habit. Yeah. And then, Mariah, there's this uh, desire for accountability, uh, which I think, yeah, makes sense sometimes when you're single. It can be hard, but I think that's also part of the solution here is finding other people who want to live this lifestyle, creating something or, uh, you know, making a brunch and everybody puts their phones in the middle of the table and you just know it's time to talk to people and have real conversations and, and to be able to create... Uh, that community. And I think that naturally helps accountability as well as how, how are you doing with this? How can mm-hmm. we do this more? What could we do? How could we create? How could we serve? All these different questions come about when we get into contact with with real humans, with real people. Yeah. Or maybe if you have a friend who wants to do this as well, maybe you could have times during the day where you say like signing off and they text back like, yep, me too. And so you know they're doing it and you're doing it and you're both having some like screen-free times or times of the day where you're not going to be texting to keep you accountable. Even though you don't have a spouse there, uh, maybe you have a roommate or maybe you have a friend who can kind of play that role of keeping you accountable. Yeah, that's great. So that was was question number one. Mariah, thank you so much for your question. Really appreciate it. Good question. All right, our next question comes from Jillian. And Jillian says, I often hear advice from married people or people who are just entering a relationship. But I don't as often hear advice for people who are in long-term committed relationships, but are not yet married. As someone who's been in a relationship for three years, I'd like to know if you have any advice for me and my boyfriend as we continue to strive towards holiness in our relationship. So I think it's good to note here that Jillian's in college. So if, if you were single or if you were out of college and you've been dating for three years, I might question like, well, what's preventing you from getting married at this point you know yeah. are you in the military mm-hmm. is there debt you know questions like this yeah 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 it might be a reasonable time to get married yeah. <laughs> if you're out of college um but i totally understand jillian's in college and i think that that's very prudent for the vast majority of relationships to wait until you finish your degree um so that is awesome um i think some advice and this is a great question i'd never really thought about this before um but i love this question so the first thing that came to my mind is just to continue to be intentional with your relationship like you don't want it to go on autopilot where we're just talking about habits where it's just a habit to be in this relationship and it's Mm -hmm. almost like you don't even think about what's the purpose behind it I know when I was in high school I was in a long-term relationship for a while and it did become a habit it was just like I don't know he's just always been my boyfriend (laughs) like that's just that was part of the reason why but when I looked ahead to the future I realized this actually makes no sense I don't want to marry this guy and then the relationship ended so um and Kevin's very happy about that. So so you always want to have, you know, that intentionality in mind. Make sure you don't get into autopilot. And some ways you can do that are by continuing to always learn together, making mm-hmm. sure that you're you're reading books together, that you're trying new things together, that that you're always adding a newness to the relationship. And this is great advice for marriage too. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, like totally what I was thinking. Yeah, it's ultimately this is mar- I mean, 
marriage is a long-term hopefully you're still <laughs> acting like you're it's a long-term relationship and, and you need to act like you're, you're dating one another so i mean the same thing in our own marriages marriage we just have to keep moving keep progressing and so i think jillian in some ways you're getting that great experience of learning what it's like to be in a longer term relationship which is marriage so yeah i think this is awesome yeah yeah the second piece i kind of would would put out to you is to make sure that you're engaging in a community i've seen several times mm. with relationships especially if they're long term people just slowly kind of put their friends to the wayside and then all of a sudden it's just these two people and they're just like buddies and attached to the hip and they don't hang out with anybody else and they don't engage in any other kind of community and that can be really dangerous even in a marriage <laughs> you know like yeah. Kevin and I we need to have friends like that's really important to be a part of a community um, and make sure that you know especially in the dating relationship that it's not your whole world because if for some reason you know God calls you out of that relationship then you don't want your whole world to be wrapped around this person and then you go now what so making sure that you're engaging in other you know friendships obviously not dating relationships but friendships um and then lastly just just to, during this phase like you are not yet sacramentally bound to each other you're not yet married um but to hold on loosely um, I think until, until you've said your wedding vows, any relationship you need to hold on loosely to and recognize that God might do something between now and, and the future that you need to need to be open to. So just mm-hmm. always be praying, Lord, you know, first and foremost, this person I'm dating, they're yours and they're yours. And this is what I want. I want this relationship to continue, but if it's not what you want, I need you to change my heart and just allow God that freedom. Um, if this is not his permanent vocational call for you. Um, yeah. yeah as scary think, as that is. Yeah. And I think a lot of what I'm hearing, particularly on this point or maybe about with friends is I, is the word identity comes to mind. Like mm. if we've made this person, and this is so great for married folks as well. If we've made this person or our family, like our entire identity, then when it, if for some reason it goes away in marriage, hopefully because of, because <laughs> of death, not divorce. But um, if it's a dating context, we don't want to wrap our whole identity in that person. And so that's where friendships are so ideal. Obviously our, our walk with the Lord, even outside that person is really ideal. Um, yeah, it's just huge. Yeah. My, uh, my mentor, Michelle Cochette, who actually we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite phrases she she said before, um, to me and, and, and a group of my friends, um, was it, if you can lose it, it's not who you are. Mm. And, um, in reality, like I, I can lose Kevin as my spouse. So like he, he doesn't, he's a part of me. Absolutely. But you're, you don't, def, you're not defining me. You know, you're not my deepest identity. My deepest identity is I'm a daughter of God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a child of God, you know? Um, and obviously you're very, you're about as close as it gets <laughs> to, sure. to being my identity, but we have to remember like, it, yeah, if we can lose it, it's, it's not who we are. It's not fundamentally who we are. Absolutely. So sweet. Awesome. Next question. question. Next question comes from Becca, and Becca asks, "What is something that has brought you a lot of joy recently?" This is a fantastic question. I do like it. Yeah, it's really good, and it helped me think about. Yeah, when is yeah when is the last time something brought me a lot of joy? And just to think about the difference between joy and happiness or pleasure, you know. And I think um, the best thing I could think of. Uh, was probably last week at some point in time, I woke up at like 6 a.m., you know, before the house is up and I'm just laying in bed. And I had joy just through gratitude, just thankful for my life and for my wife and for my kids and for the job I get to do and um, the friends I have. And I I think in many ways, um, joy is created by 
gratitude. When we're thankful for things, that's where joy springs forth, you know? Um, And I think that's, yeah, one of the best things that that gives me joy. Gratitude. Yeah, gratitude. I think on the the flip side of of gratitude is, uh, and I think this makes sense, is it says that people have said the thing that steals joy often is comparison, Mm -hmm. right? So when we compare ourselves to others, it's almost a lack of gratitude. It's a, it's a desire that we had other things that we don't, don't have. And that's why it steals our joy. So I think there's a, a relationship between uh, comparison and gratitude. And it's part of the secret to, to joy is, is figuring out those two things. Good work. Yeah. Nice. So there you go. Can I share mine? Yeah. Yeah. I have an answer too. So something that has brought me a lot of joy recently, and this is, this is kind of a deep internal thing for somebody who's completely choleric and not melancholic i'm excited for this as a melancholic in the family i am very excited for this yes i i've been challenging myself lately to to let emotions linger so tell us more yes oh your mom just texted me (laughs) sorry about that (laughs) um i don't know how to turn that off i'll 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 work on it while you do that while i answer my question oh thanks so Sitting with emotions. So I, I think sometimes when ever, especially like a, a positive emotion, like a, an emotion of um, like feeling loved or an emotion of like, wow, somebody just did something kind for me. I think oftentimes I'm just ready to move on to the next thing and I don't stop and like allow that emotion to like to experience it. So for example, the other uh, last weekend when I was at a student milk conference, I got there and there was this welcome packet that would just have been prepared for me with a handwritten note and some snacks and some little goodies and, you know, and just that, that emotion of like, Oh, that was so kind, you know, Mm -hmm. and just allowing myself to just sit with that for a minute as opposed to just like, Oh no, I'm feeling something. Don't feel, move on. <laughs> like, Cause that's kind of my tendency. I, I'm not much of a feeling person. Whereas my feeling is, Oh, I'm feeling something. I can't stop feeling it. Oh, I can't move on. Oh, <laughs> this is like, this is like dwelling on the good, like allowing yeah. that emotion to, to linger and to dwell and to just appreciate that as opposed to just pushing it off to the side and going on to the next efficient thing that I need to do. So that's brought me a lot of joy lately. Like when I, I feel that just allowing it to, to be felt. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we are halfway through mm-hmm. our questions, which means it's time for the hack and highlight. Hack and highlight. And We're Lisa, still doing it. You've got the, both the hack and the highlight for it this week. I do. What would you like to share with us? I do. Our hack this week, our Catholic hack, is to, it, it, well, it's for people who have a friend who's pregnant with their second plus baby. So a lot of times when women get pregnant, you know, with their first, obviously we have a big baby shower and it's a big hoopla and everybody's excited. And then the second, it's still exciting, but by the time you get to like third or fourth, it's kind of like, oh, you're pregnant again. Okay. <laughs> like the excitement wears out, but it's still mm-hmm. just as much of a taxing process for mom. It's just as much of an anticipation, all of that. It's still going through through the woman. And it should be just as much of a celebration. Yes. Where I think I think the the counter of this is often in our world. It's like, oh, you're having number four. You don't need to have number four. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. good for we you, but I'm, I don't need to be excited, do I? Because, like, maybe I shouldn't encourage you, you know? Yeah. 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 So what we do in our community, and I love, this is from my friend Elizabeth. Her husband works at the focus office. She introduced this to me and did this for me when we were pregnant with our third is what we call a Catholic birth blessing. 
So sometimes people have a sprinkle instead of a shower, um, but then there's gifts involved and sometimes people are like, oh gosh, well, I don't know if I want to bring another gift and you know, it just kind of gets awkward. A birth blessing is not at all about gifts. It's just a time to get together with you and all your girlfriends when you're later in pregnancy, just to celebrate the fact of new life and to pray. And it's so great. We do this all the time for our friends now. We have these birth blessings. We eat good food and we pray. That's pretty much all we do. There's no presence involved, but it's a great way to celebrate the life of this new you know, this new baby and honor the mother and get excited with her without that awkwardness of presence. Yeah. So there's a whole, um, the birth blessing itself is actually the, the prayers that we use are sanctioned by the church. They came from Elizabeth's dad has a book of prayers. He's a deacon and it's um, been approved for the laity. And so you can use those prayers for the birth blessing. And there's a whole bunch that goes with it. I can't get into all of it, but I will put a link up in the show notes with all the instructions you need from my old mommy blog. Um, so you can look at that if you've got a friend who's expecting second plus baby. It's just a great way to celebrate life that isn't completely overwhelming like hosting a shower. So that's our hack. Nice. And, and our highlight. And our highlight. Our highlight is a new ministry that I had heard of before but didn't really know what it was until recently when I was at um, – my last student conference a week and a half ago. Um, one of the speaker teammates of mine, Nick Frank, is is joining this. It's Dirty Vagabond Ministries. And I hope you've heard of it because it's pretty amazing. It's like a cross between Focus and Christ in the City, which we've done a Christ in the City mm-hmm. um, episode before. And a Focus episode before. And a Focus episode before. We'll put those in the show notes so you can find those if you're like, what are you talking about? But they work with inner city kids, basically doing discipleship, and they're feeding them both Physically, they do feed them meals and, and try to meet their physical needs, but they also really live with them and meet their spiritual needs. So they'll get vans and bring them to mass or they'll do Bible studies with them. And it's just pretty amazing work. So um, it's a lot of former youth ministers who enter into this ministry, but it's just youth ministry at a really intense level. Um, they're in a couple locations, Steubenville, Ohio, Greenville, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Wichita, Kansas. So if you live in those areas, I encourage you to look them up and reach out and ask the missionaries what you can do to help. And also to sponsor a missionary if you're in a position where you're going, hey, there's something I'd like. I've got some extra. I just got a pay raise or something, and I want to donate to something. Um, you can check out Nick personally. I know yeah. he's just now. He's got a family and um, they just moved to go do this ministry, and it's pretty amazing. So we'll put some info in the show notes as well if you would like to uh, support a, a Dirty Vagabond missionary. In particular, I'm going to suggest Nick because yeah. he's awesome. what a cool thing. The coolest. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I just, this is hilarious. Go Nick ahead. and Chris are twins. <clears throat> and <laughs> Go on. <laughs> it's, Chris, it's Chris that's joining. Um <laughs> Twin brother. I just got them mixed up. They're identical, too. It's really hard, You know, people. Lisa, I bet no one's ever mixed them up before, ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. It's Chris who's joining. That's hilarious. We'll, we'll fix that. We'll, Time for another question. Okay, <laughs> Moving on. Question number four is from Paige. And Paige asks, what advice do you have for someone who's wanting to write a faith-based book? Since you recently wrote Dating Detox, I'd love to hear your how-tos on everything from planning and researching to publishing and promoting. I've always loved to write and have maintained a small personal blog for about a year. However, over the past few months, I felt that God has called me to work on a bigger project that combines my background in health and wellness and my love for the church. It's very exciting, but also kind of overwhelming, especially since I already have a full-time job. Whoa. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on this. We could do several episodes on That's this. True. We could do a whole podcast on this, like a whole new podcast. Yeah. But we won't. I hope not, because no. that would be a lot of work. But 
Um, yeah, we could go a lot of different directions, but I'll give you a couple directions. Uh, first off, Paige, I think you have a really good head on your shoulders because a lot of things you said within your question just tells me a lot about who you are and how you're approaching the topic. And I think you're doing a really great job so far. So I think one thing they said even sounds really simple, but that you're working a full-time job and doing this on the side. I think a lot of times with publishing, uh, it's really great. And even the idea that you have a small personal blog, it's, it's awesome to grow things organically and over time. And I think our society and social media often uh, tells us that like, if you just have one big launch or like things magically happen or they always happen all at once. But in reality, people over time develop and hone their craft and get to a stage where you can produce a book and tell a really meaningful story or you can have a podcast or you can be a speaker, whatever it might be. And one of the best examples I have, and this is like a scandalous example to most people, but um, a couple of years ago, Father Mike Schmitz was sharing with people about speaking. And he said, at one point in time in my life, there were several people that let me know that I was not a good public speaker. And it's like, what? Like when you think it's of, Father Mike you think of Father Mike, you're like, he's been doing like he's he was just born this way and he he does have a certain personalities and gifts that i think are very unique to him but he really had to get better at public speaking and really improve to a point that he's gotten to today and um yeah so just my i guess my overall first point is just hone your craft get really good at what you do and continue to see that grow slowly yeah second point would be is just trying to find great tools so that's a part of kind of the maybe the professional side of all this but some some recommendations. One, uh, particularly on the book side, I'd love to recommend to people is Michael Hyatt's Writing a Winning Nonfiction Book Proposal. So again, that's Michael Hyatt. It's Writing a Winning Nonfiction Book Proposal. And Michael Hyatt used to be the CEO of Tommy Nelson Press, the largest Christian book uh, seller in the world. And so he saw a lot of book proposals in his lifetime. And so in this um this document that you can buy from him. Basically, he gives you what a good book proposal should look like. And in doing so, he helps you answer a lot of great questions that you'd need to answer for any publisher to publish you. So questions about like, who's your audience or how are you going to sell this book or why would people listen to you or all really great questions for you to think about and also figure out how you can answer those as well. Well, it also shows you if you're trying to write a book proposal and you're like, I don't know, I can't mm -hmm. answer these it shows you what the publisher is going to be looking for. And you might need to say, okay, I actually need to step back and I need to first do X, Y, or Z. So that way they actually have what it is that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes you realize, oh, I'm actually trying to do three things at once. What I need to do is just one thing. That's what is, you know, that's what helped me move forward. And then how do I, maybe I can't write a book on that yet, but I need to do a podcast or I need to increase that content on my blog and see how people respond. Or I need to get better at telling that story or whatever it might be. You can hone your craft according to that. So that's one great tool. Lisa, you had another one on the Communicators Academy podcast. Yes. Yeah, so well, this is where Michelle comes in. Michelle yeah. Kushat, she's, she's a Protestant um, speaker and author, um, big in the Protestant world. And I'm very blessed. She is my mentor um, because I can't do this on my own and I need people who uh, help me hone my craft and help me learn how to, um, you know, continue to, to do what I'm doing. So she's got a great podcast with her friend, Kathy Lip. It's Communicators Academy podcast. And they talk a lot about um, how do you become the communicator that God created you to be? And they give a ton of practical tips on how do you, um, any of those questions that you have in there, they've got a podcast episode on that. So rather than answer every one of those, um, she, I, I trust her. I know her. Um, she can give you great tips and advice. And if you scroll through there, you'd find all kinds of episodes about things you want to learn about. 
Yeah, and the last one I would just say is platform. The book platform by Michael Hyatt's really good. It's just an overview of different things that you can do to get the word about out about what you're doing and how to do those things and why you should do those things. I think it's a good just education for for what's possible. Excellent. I think the last thing I would just want to add is with any of this, it's a call. Yeah. I think any speaker or writer would tell you it has to be a call. And that's got to be your first motivation is that you feel intensely called to it. Um, and you need to look for ways that God has confirmed that call in your life. Because um, we get this question all the time, um, you know, how, how do you break in or how do you become a speaker? Or how do you become an author? And I think, it, I think it's beautiful that people have that desire on their heart to serve in that way. Um, but you really got to make sure um, that you're, you're discerning through it um, and that you're really asking. Because it's not as glamorous as it seems. Um, <laughs> it it's actually can be, you know, a pretty intensive um, call and 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 you've got to know that it's it's from the lord yeah and that call is going to help you do all the hard work and that's what people don't i think that's what you're alluding to people don't always see the hard work or the gradual improvement or the failures or the weaknesses that you had to improve or all the things that go into a book i mean it's just we could go on and on um Mm -hmm. things that people don't see but um you got to be called so you know in those moments when it's really hard that you can persevere excellent all right, question number five. This actually comes from our friends, um, Liz and Tyler Meyer. Who, yeah. Yeah, who were residents at, um, when I was a hall director at Benedictine College, Tyler was in my hall. One mm-hmm. of only 16 men who got to be in my hall. That's a long story. Um, and Liz. So this was fun to get a, a question from them. The Let's see, I'm guessing this is Liz. Liz said, we've been married six years and we have twin four-year-olds, a two-year-old, and almost five-month-old. One thing we really struggle with is getting them to sit still during prayer, bedtime, mealtime, occasional decade of the rosary as family, the few times we've taken them to adoration, (laughs) they're so brave, and at mass. I know we can't expect them to behave perfectly and sit still for long periods of time, but I know they can do it at least long enough for three to four minutes of bedtime prayer. (laughs) I love that. So how do you teach slash instill reverence for prayer slash mass to little children? Also, what are your expectations for your children in mass and family prayer based on ages? Like, should a five-year-old be able to sit and follow along with a full rosary, etc.? I love this question because this is a question I have asked myself. Like, I can remember asking specifically. I was at a homeschool conference back when we used to homeschool. And it was just kind of a roundtable discussion. And I was young with my, you know, youngest was like in kindergarten. And I asked this exact question, like, how do I get my kids to sit still during rosary time was specifically what I was asking. And this older mom who has a bunch of kids just shook her head and she said, oh, honey, you don't. (laughs) I was like, oh. (laughs) And she said, you know, it's okay to have certain expectations, but you can't expect them to just sit still like perfect little angels. So then they proceeded to give me um, just some ideas for ways to help kids, specifically with the rosary, to, to, to keep busy but reverently busy. And so I'm going to put, I'll put a link up here too. Um, I took some of their ideas and some of my own that I came up with for things for kids to do during family rosary to keep them engaged. The easiest one is the pipe cleaner and pony beads. We just give the kids when they're younger, a pipe cleaner and then 10 beads. And sometimes, you know, they're fun beads like animals and things. And then for each, each Hail Mary, they put a bead on the pipe cleaner. And they think that's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And when they're really little, they put 97 on, and then the older kid gets mad because it's not 10, and, and you just let it go. Um, I, I think just giving them a role, giving them something to – like when we do Stations of the Cross, it's like, well, mm-hmm. your job is to actually take out all the symbols, you know, so it's 
he fell three times and it's a band-aid for each time. It's like, that's your job. And they're like, Oh, okay, this is my job. And your older kids like, mm-hmm. it's your job to read. And you know, mm-hmm. that's really helps keep them engaged when you give them a job to do. Yeah. So it's okay to keep them engaged. They're not at the age of contemplation right now. Um, so you just want to make sure that, that it's not seen as a negative thing or something that they resent or they hate. You want prayer to, to be positive at this age. Lisa, don't underestimate the power of children. <laughs> contemplation. Um, so that's, that's that. Um, for mass, um, I remember asking a very holy family one time because we, we watched them and their 10 kids all sit still while we wrangled our two kids. And so I asked for advice on that. And I remember some things that they gave to me specifically, um, first of all, not to put the kids down the, the kid who's just starting to walk. <laughs> makes it sound like they're insulting them. Not, you mean just not let them down. No, let them down. No, yes. like put them, don't, don't. Yeah. Hey, you're no good here <laughs> at math. Right. No. <laughs> Not that kind of putting down. No, no, to, to hold them at that stage. And so they get into the habit of mass is not time to play because when they start walking that's all they want to do mm-hmm. and it gets really challenging and so they said during this specific season you really need to teach them that this is not time where we walk around and you know leave the pew and you know sometimes it's like oh it's so cute they're running up and down the aisle it's like no it's really not <laughs> it's not for mom and dad so just not putting them down um and they suggested to me, you know, you can practice this. So if they're struggling during mass, come into the church when nobody's in there and spend some time holding them and walking around with them or standing in, in the pew with them and looking at the missile with them, just teaching them so they learn, oh, mass is when mom and dad hold me. And then they stop fighting it as much when they've gotten used to it. Uh, some other things we do, uh, we're not above the donut reward. Um Heck no, we're not above that. Nope. Um, and if you don't have a parish that gives donuts, you might have to buy donuts, but it's worth it um, as, mm-hmm. as that's a motivation for us. Um, or if you want to go the opposite way, you know your kid, then then there can be a punishment. If if Especially if they're older. If you say, hey, if I when I take you out, the clock starts. And I'm timing how long we're out here. So if we're out here for six minutes, then you have to stay after mass for six minutes. This especially works when they're older and they make that correlation and they go, well, I don't want to fuss and fight. So they have to take me out and the clock starts and then I have to stay. And that clock just keeps starting until they've behaved for that full time. So you got to kind of gauge where your kid's at and what's going to work for them. Different disciplinary, you know, uh, options are going to work for different kids. But those are some things we learned and some things that worked for us. Um, But just keep fighting through, you know, Fighting, fighting through. Um, yeah, just just know you're not alone in that, and it is a hard season, and sometimes you just need to push through, and that's okay. Um, but just know that, that you're not alone. These are great questions, and um, yeah, I hope those are some good thoughts. And the word habit just, I mean, over time, your older kids will adapt, and they'll understand the habits, and the kid, other kids will follow suit because they have other people to watch. And so, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, over time things yeah. things will get better with anything it's consistency you just mm-hmm. got to pick one direction that you're going to go and be consistent um or else it becomes a game you know so yeah there you go awesome last question our last question comes from christian from the dominican republic so fun and thanks for the email yeah the question is i've had big problems with praying in group settings i started praying silently before meals at a job where they stopped eating with me after they knew i was catholic i left that job but still now, when I want to put my day's events in God's hands in prayer, I'm made fun of for being overly pious and being ridiculous, and this is with fellow Catholics. How can I deal with prayer, especially with people who are closest to me? Well, Christian, I could go a lot of different directions with this one, but overall, um, I really believe that our lives are narratives 
that we allow other people to read. And, that, and one thing that strikes me when I hear of your story, emphasize story, is that you're living out a story that is putting your life in God's hands. And I think when people see that story, when they read that story, uh, they're rejecting that narrative. They're saying, I don't want my life to be that way. I want to be in control and not God. And when you give that example, they react to it because they don't want you to do it. You're a reminder that they're not who they're supposed to be. And uh, I know just in high school, I always had this constantly where, you know, people would find out I, I don't underage drink or I don't talk about women in a certain way, whatever it might be. And they would go after those things constantly. But I just realized I'm a reminder. I'm a part of their conscience almost that they're hoping dies and they don't want to hear that story because they know what they could live out. And so the quote that uh, I'm really reminded of, and it's one of my favorite quotes, it's from Jim Elliott, who's a Protestant, was a Protestant missionary and, and was martyred uh, during missionary work. He said this, he said, uh, really a form of prayer, he said, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ and me. And uh, I, I really think your just small witness of deciding to prayer makes you a fork in the road. And people have to say, do I believe that God can influence and be around me in my daily events or don't I? And so part of your question is what I should do. And, and my answer is keep doing what you're doing. You are a crisis. Uh, you know, you can be a crisis man or woman who allows people to make that decision. And, and that's where God wants you to be. The only thing I'd add is just trying to find other people as best you can who who want to live that life with you so that you can just be encouraged and don't feel alone. I know that can, over time can just be uh, really defeating. So the more you can find those types of people in your life to come together and to pray with those people um, can give you a lot of strength and courage uh, for the fight. Yeah. I'd say too, just always praying for the Holy Spirit in those moments, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and just asking, Lord, give me the grace. And, and if receiving the grace is hard, then give me the grace to receive the grace. And just know that you're never going to regret doing the right thing when it comes mm. to your faith. Yep. You might regret not doing it, but when, when it's truth and when it's beauty and when it's goodness, like you will always be rewarded for that. And you might not see it, but one of those people who made fun of you, they might remember that and, or they might feel that longing in their heart, like Kevin said, and you might be having an effect that you'll never see or never hear about, but you've always got to answer that call and do what you know on your conscience is right and not be afraid. Don't let them bully you into being afraid. Yeah. If, if you're a Christian in our world, this is just uh, a habit you have to, and a muscle you have to flex because I don't, if, unless you're running into the, not, if you're, unless you're running into these situations, you, you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, you're probably not hanging out with enough people who are challenging you. So um, unfortunately that's just, this is where our world's at. Um, we're going to get challenged and um, we got to be, get ready to, to be those crisis men and women. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being that city on a hill. Yeah. It's fantastic. All right. Well, those were our six questions. Lisa, do you want to have our how-to challenge here for our episode? Yes. Our how-to challenge we're going to give you is to ask yourself Becca's question that she gave to us. What is something that has brought you a lot of joy recently? So think about that question. What has brought you a lot of joy? And then we want you to just do it more. Yeah. If it's bringing you joy, let's do more of it. Yep. That's our challenge to you today. So thanks so much for joining us on this special question and answer podcast. And thanks to all of those who sent in their questions. Those were definitely moments that I had to linger in the joy and in, mm -hmm. and the, and the good emotion of, Hey, that's so great. So, uh, we hope, uh, 
yeah, we hope to do this again sometime for our 10th episode of each season is kind of our plan right now. So if in the meantime, you've got a question and you're like, I'll forget it because that's a while away. Go ahead. Feel free. Hello at madetomagnify.com. Send us an email if you have any questions. That might also help us know what episodes are of interest to you because we want this to be a service to you, our listeners. We're not just doing this for ourselves or for fun, although it is fun. It is. Yes. And also don't forget, if you do have any hacks, Catholic hacks, please send those our way and we will feature them here on the podcast. Until next time, be saints. It's worth it. 